Because back in the day, divers were pretty damn tough. Wow. Remember, uh, remember old Uncle Brian from when we did that Salvamar story? Yeah. Old commercial yeah. diver. He was a tough dude. Yeah, he was more suave than tough, I would say. Yeah, he was suave more, you know, driving the... I bet you, I bet you he could handle himself in a, in a little uh, bar fight, you well, know, there yeah. in, in Europe somewhere. Maybe, I yeah. think he'd have done all right. Yeah. Although he probably would have, you know, thrown a chair and ducked out with a good-looking girl, you know, <laughs> while, the, while the fight finished <laughs> off. You know, jumped in his Maserati and... Yes. Away you go. This is about working underwater. Yeah. And I'll tell you, from a lot of the dive jobs I've done, you know, not teaching scuba jobs, not selling somebody mask fins and right. snorkel jobs, but, but working underwater. Yeah. It's work. That's, it's work, it's, and it's usually in shit conditions, and uh, it's work. When you got to work Yeah, so not underwater, only do you have to be able to dive, mm-hmm. you have to be able to dive in the worst of the worst conditions. And you got to be able to keep a, a cool head. I mean, that's a whole other part of that the game, you know. And I, I guess you know a lot of the guys that I've known over the years, you know, a lot of like the the police divers, you know, I, I look at those guys as being some of the the hardiest, toughest dudes. Not technically the most finesse divers, you know, right? abled yeah. divers, but willing to go into anything at any time, anywhere. Uh, this dive might give you cancer and kill you. Uh, sign me up. Sign me up. Let's go. <laughs> Where's my gear? Is diving causing cancer now? Might give you COVID. No, it'll give you cancer. Well, I'm I'm just thinking some of those, <laughs> some of those, some of that water, gear. some of that yeah. water we've jumped in in the uh, on a couple of those canals in the, in the Detroit River. Yeah, you never know what kind of, you know what kind of bugs are lurking in there. But I do operate yeah. under the what does not kill you only makes you stronger philosophy to a certain generally degree. Speaking, right. yeah, generally yeah. speaking, I think you're right. It's just when it, it crosses that threshold <laughs> right. that, that you're, you're, you're like, done. son of a bitch. I took it just a little too far. You know, I don't think I'd jump into you know, radioactive glowing water, but... Yeah, I mean, some of those lakes, some of those rivers. Lake wh- Erie. Whole, what about Lake Erie oh, back in the day? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> on Which fire. Just, <laughs> and then you just think of like decades or you know just centuries of of just all of that funk and muck that settles in on the bottom that you're you're stirring up and swimming in and yeah. <laughs> you know and it's nature. Yeah, I remember, it is nature. It is nature. <laughs> I remember working a movie in one of those Detroit yeah. River canals, and before we got in, you know, you know, me and the other stunt guy are looking at that water, and you know, there's a condom floating at the the shoreline where we're getting in, nice. and just like shit in the water, it's AIDS water. We were out there waiting for this car crash, <laughs> and this freighter goes by in the river, and uh, you know, five minutes later, the wake comes rolling through. Oh yeah. Right as he turns around, because it's taken forever, so he he's sitting there, he takes his regulator out of his mouth, right? Here, just tell him, like, my God, this is taking forever. Right as this wake, like, just like hits him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Oh my God! I swallowed it! I swallowed it! That's uh. But um. That's rough. Yeah, working working underwater, man. It takes a 
it's not just pretty fishies and beautiful coral and let's take some pictures. Yeah, it's usually the opposite, 90% of it anyway. And this is a story about working your fingers to the bone. Literally. Literally. It's a nerve-splitting rescue is what occurred here. Oh, it's a rescue. And eh? uh, this, is, uh, this is a little bit different than uh, our usual stories, but I came across this one. I, I thought this was going to be fun. Okay. That's what we're all about, James. You know, there are certain people that you instinctively know are in control of situations, Brando. Uh, yeah. Some may be natural-born pilots who could land a washing machine on a trash can lid. I've seen that. Or maybe <laughs> once seen that back in back in Nam. <laughs> back in Nam, I was shot up pretty bad, but here he comes in a fucking washing machine right on the trash can lid. Perfect. Or maybe the engine mechanic who gets the island's generator going again with a handful of mismatched Volvo parts. You know, three hairpins, a part of Kate Moss's Wonder Bra for a fan belt. Kate Moss's? Really? It's pretty specific. Uh, well, back in the day, you know, she was, uh, she was quite the number. Have you figured out who wrote this yet? No. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you ponder on it. I only know three authors. <laughs> yeah, these are the characters that you simply take their advice without argument as they casually say, Don't eat the purple berries. When you're a couple hundred miles up the Amazon basin, because beyond all doubt, they've got the right stuff. And the only stuff you've got is still stuck to the bottom of your hiking boots. Ooh. <laughs> I knew a guy like that named Dave Costin. He was about 38 when I met him in 1971. And it amazed me that he could still walk upright, unassisted. At such an advanced age, much less stand the rigors of professional diving. My 21-year-old perspective left me convinced of my own absolute immortality. And Dave <laughs> spent the next six years showing me how idiots like myself could survive extraordinary circumstances in spite of our immaturity. Hmm. Remember being 21? Yeah. Talking to, the, talking to that old, decrepit 38-year-old <laughs> bastard? <laughs> I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, uh, I'm thinking back of my uh, my days at commercial school, and one of the instructors was uh, somebody you'd describe like this. They were they were all pretty tough guys, uh, army and a couple of military divers. This, but this one particular guy was a North Sea former North Sea diver, sat diver. Oh wow, that's and, that's some hardy diving. Yeah, up there. and he had the attitude like. Like if the, if the the president of the school came in and started giving him shit, he'd just punch. The, like fist would go. Like I don't have time for this. That was the kind See, of attitude I would think, he had. You know. Yeah, I would think a lot of the guys you hung out with, especially the guys that were were teaching and working at that yeah. school on the old Eastern Seaboard there. Yeah, were pretty hardy, tough. Yeah. You know, I mean, you walk around that dock all day, every day. You're gonna you're gonna be have a little chip on your shoulder and uh <laughs> that was that's some scary dockage there too in camden new jersey that's really scary i, I wanted the stories of what we would just see coming into school you know i would work all night so i was working at night loading uh for rps shipping i'd load the trucks right and then i'd go to school all day and i'd come in you know at like six in the morning right off of the shift and the hookers would be there by the little Burning barrels. Uh, oh, like this is like right out of the movies. Oh, it's 
and then it's stuff you couldn't put in the movies, you know, on the big screen. Yeah, scary stuff as far as as far as the area, but yeah, they they were tough people, tough people, tough dudes. Yeah, th- th- then you add that to just a lot of the the diving public yes. in the seventies, like that were yeah. diving in the sixties and seventies. Those are some pretty hardy, tough dudes because you know they didn't have the gear, they didn't have the the warmth of the suits. Right. You had to have a, a certain rigor and, and toughness, and they were just winging it a lot of times. You know, right. You know, well, figure things out on their own. It was much more physically, uh, I don't want to say demanding, but challenging. They, I guess that's demanding. They required more for the uh, education part. It wasn't all just, you know, pretty fish and everybody's going to come and do this. It was like, okay, here's a swimming test that's pretty, you know, it's not terribly. It's not Mark Spitz, you know, for those who know Mark Spitz. You don't got to be a crazy incredible competitive swimmer but you had to be comfortable and is he like michael phelps yes michael phelps there you go even i bet there's a lot of people like michael phelps (laughs) they were willing to tell you in class back in in the 70s that hey this is serious yeah you're doing something that humans don't belong you're probably going to kill yourself pay attention this is how you got to do it right Right. You know, they didn't sugarcoat it with, oh, you're going to go to the happiest place with the <laughs> happiest fish and see the most uh-huh. wonderful things. and Not say the you D know, word. You yeah. had to be tough. Yeah. Well, yeah, and they, they put physical demands on you, a little bit more physical yeah, like demands you, and mental demands. Like you demands. had to have a, a moustache in order to pass your class <laughs> a back in 1971. <laughs> it helped. Not even a mustache. I don't know you had to have a moustache. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a big, hearty Moustache. There you go. I like to hear that. St. Croix in the early 1970s was goldmine for a guy like Dave who could do just about anything and do it well. He dabbled in many things, but finally settled on diving as a means of combining his hobby with a career that was suitably swashbuckling, but would still allow him membership to the local yacht club. Swashbuckling, uh, and I can hang out at the club. See, that reminds me of my, my old buddy Marsh, the Detroit guy. Yeah. You know? he, he had himself a nice 70s diver's mustache. Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, was the police <laughs> diver and, and uh, was hanging out at the old Detroit Yacht Club. Got himself a little sailboat, like hanging out <laughs> with, the, with the, the hoity-toities, but was, was just a, just a old dive Regular bum old like, like all of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is a pretty pretty wonderful combination of mixing those two worlds. Yeah, it's a romantic viewpoint or, or you know, when you have that idea, that romantic ideal of the adventure of diving, the hardy adventure, the life threatening, you know, live on the edge kind of lifestyle. Yeah, that kind of comes to mind. Back in that day, I don't know about now. What do you think? Do you think now it's like no? No, it's it's been kind of... Well, back in the 70s, everybody got certified, not because they wanted to go see a coral reef. They got certified because they were going to go find some old pirate right. treasure. they wanted to find treasure. Yeah. Well, like, uh, like they were, they were going to go look for Or part gold. of a shipwreck I mean, or something like that. They want to right, put behind yeah, the yeah, bar, they, if anything. But, yeah, it's become millennialized, if you want to call it that. <laughs> it's become millennialized. It's... Dave wasn't an imposing figure. Physically, he probably topped out at 150 pounds or so, including his faded Greek fisherman's cap. Because that was about and... eight ounces, that cap, at least. <laughs> right, which, which took him from 149 <laughs> to, to 149 in eight ounces. 
somebody started making fun of his weight. He's like, I'm 150, every bit of 150 with this hat, with this Greek fisherman's cap. <laughs> his hair and neatly trimmed beard had gone prematurely white. So he sort of had a look that conjured up an image of your grandfather who just finished an Ironman contest. Nice. And how old was he when he went white? 30, 38. And he didn't have kids? <laughs> None that he knew about or talked about. <laughs> oh, he probably did. Sp- it was strewn, the 70s. A, strewn about the uh, Caribbean. Strewn about the Caribbean. <laughs> but, yeah, he went, so he did the same thing I did, which is skip gray. You completely skip gray. You go from black to black white. hair to white hair. <laughs> That's one way to do it. I'm, I'm you got some gray. In. You got gray. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for the, the long, drawn-out, George Clooney, salt and pepper look. You're going to look like uh, my grandfather who did an Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, hang on. Let me get on Amazon here. I got to order me a fisherman cap real quick. <laughs> he was a man of few words, he says, and did not suffer fools gladly. Those of us who knew him well had learned to listen precisely to what he said and then do exactly as bidden. Otherwise, we had discovered that the barge septic tank emptied a ton of affluent on top of you or a blast of compressed air removed all body hair and several outer layers of skin when you turned the valve the wrong way. Son of a bitch. Then he'd smile wryly and inquire what you hadn't understood about his original instructions. Did he you add learned... a little name on there, too? Well, <laughs> yeah, what yeah, didn't you a... understand, numbnuts? You learned quickly around Dave Costin. Actually, that seemed like the key to survival and whatever retirement plan we might hope for. But he would never ask anyone to do something that he wouldn't do himself. He led by example, and his eager disciples fell in line behind him, just glad for the opportunity to learn from the master. The master. <laughs> you know, growing up diving, you know, that, that's how you kind of learned really anything just outside of the basic little scuba programs that you go through, which are there for like commercial purposes, right? You know, yeah. you, I would say the most learning that I really did that really opened up my mind to diving was hanging out in circles of people that were really in the diving. water doing something. Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's, that's part of the whole, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. You're you're gaining a lot from their experience and interacting with them one-on-one in, on the job. So it's, you know, it's like on-the-job training, OJT. If you've got somebody who's been there and done it, it's great. That's a great place to learn from, isn't it? I mean, experience is a, a huge teacher, but if you can't get the experience, get taught from someone who does have the experience. There seem to be a lot of mentorship Right, which Back is what we're day. missing a lot today. Yeah, there wasn't a million specialty classes to take. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, they didn't have the zombie dive. Either. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to use that. <laughs> Yeah, they they didn't have a mermaid class back in 1971. Oh, well, the mermaid class but might they actually did have, be something. They did have a very long and extensive open water program. Right. And maybe an advanced program. And then you really, you just got in the water and dove with people who were out living it, doing it right. all the time. Well, they had clubs, a lot more clubs. You oh, know. yeah. And we've talked about it before, but, but the clubs back in, in the 70s, I mean, these guys were diving 52 weeks a year. Right. And the clubs? Multiple dives a week. 
Right. And the clubs would have mentor programs. I mean, you were set up. If you were a newer diver, they would, at least some of them, some of them that I knew, they had mentorship pro- programs. So you had to get so many dives with so many people. And-, and in spite of the fact that what we did was inherently dangerous, he always emphasized how to best apply safety procedures and made us map out elaborate contingency plans for whatever project we took on. His vision would save us all from losing various body parts to underwater pneumatic tools, being sucked into high-pressure water intakes, chopped up in dredges, or blown up in our TNT-shaped charges. It would also teach us to save his life. Damn it. Well, he knows that. I mean, any team, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and if you're or your weakest member, and if your weakest member, you're relying on that weak member to save your life, you better have taught him well, or her well. Yeah, so it's 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 uh, tough love. It was tough love back well, then. That's how all love should be, shouldn't it? It should be. God damn it, we got to be tough, but we got to be, we got to give love, but we got to be tough. Don't you miss those tough guys? Do we have tough guys anymore? Are there? Can you name a tough guy in the movies that's young? Ryan Reynolds, maybe, but he's almost four. He's got to be in his forties. He he's actually on our side. He's on the old guy, OG side. Right. He's not. I don't think he'd be. You know, people might think he's young. He's not. And tough. He I is most of the. I, he's kind of most tough. of the tough guys are tough guys because that's how the script says. I think uh, he's, you're the you're the tough you're the tough guy. <laughs> you're going to punch <laughs> the bad guy, and you he's going to go be a flying. Tough guy. You know, but I think in as an actor, life, you have in to In real once... life, I think a lot of those actors... <laughs> well, I'm, like, I'm sure there's a lot. This is a $5 million face. <laughs> you can't punch me. I think, though, I mean, to to play a tough guy, to play it well anyway, you sh- probably had to have been a tough guy at one point. You had you have to draw from something, you know, or maybe you're just drawing from a tough guy you knew. But, yeah, I I try to think back, you know, you, you have all those old actors that s- threw away their high-paying acting jobs and went into the military for the World War II kind of thing or oh, right, whatnot. Right. So, I mean, those to me are are tough guys in real life and tough guys on the screen kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I Like, I think, like, uh, yeah, funny enough, I was just watching the other night yeah. Fistful of dollars. Oh, well, there's Clint a tough Eastwood. guy. There's there's, there's tough the guy. quintessential I, tough guy. I, I think uh, I think if there's any tough guy actor today, yeah. it's probably uh, that uh, Danny Trejo. But he's OG, man. What are you he, talking he's about? Old, he's really know, OG. He's uh, like he's 70 he's a, now. He's an old, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's got he's that a tough guy. big ass tattoo on his chest, but he's a little, like, in real, in real life, IRL, he's like 5'6 or something. He's really... Probably, uh, he's probably uh, topped out at 150 pounds. <laughs> With his green his, uh, faded yeah, Greek, his fisherman fisher- Greek fisherman hat. Greek fisherman hat, yeah. <laughs> so, in July of 1971, Dave had a contract involving over a hundred divers working on lowering the ship channel into Hess Oil's plant from a controlling depth of 45 feet to 60 feet. This involved one hell of a lot of explosives, several large tugs, and a half dozen giant dredge barges to remove the aftermath of our little demolition exercises. 
By the end of the first week, visibility along the island's south shore was about 12 inches, and pretty much everything underwater was down by touch and feel. One day, a barge capsized and spilled a load of four-foot diameter pipe all over the sandy bottom. It was days before we were able to sling it and get it raised again. Shortly after that, we resumed our systematic blasting. Our standard drill at the end of each day was a diver sweep of the blast area to see if we needed to mark any large debris for separate hoist before the dredges moved in. Since we couldn't see anything due to the visibility, the teams would work on buddy lines and measure objects by arm span. If you couldn't reach around something, you sent up a float buoy and another team would come down and sling the boulder or whatever to haul it away. Late one afternoon, around 4.30, Dave was swimming the end of a sweep line when he slammed into a large object. Examining it by feel, he quickly determined that it was one of the big dredge pipes that had fallen overboard and not been found. Since these things were nearly a hundred feet long, he deployed a float from one end and began to swim to the other end. And when he arrived at the pipe opening, he fanned the sand from underneath to pass a loop around for his other float buoy. Okay. But while he had his hand under the pipe, another energetic crew had rigged a sling on the other end and had the dredge begin lifting. Son of a bitch. In a split second, his left hand... Who was the energetic crew that did that? I Because... I mean, can you imagine? Think about it. Think about it. If you were down, what would you be saying in your regulator? Like, I'm going to kill them. They know I'm down right. here. Right. What the hell? For six months, I've been asking <laughs> these low life, no good for nothing, lazy sons Maybe of bitches. Maybe they hate me and they're to get to... off their asses and do something. <laughs> Now, now's the time? Yeah. Now that they're going to get all energetic and come down? Well, maybe they're like, now's our chance to get rid of them. (laughs) (laughs) In a split second, his left hand was pinned to the bottom as the other end was raised. It was just enough force to pin his fingers between the flat rock of the sea bottom and the pipe so he couldn't remove them, but not enough to crush them. (laughs) Thankfully. All efforts to extract his fingers were futile, and he was left alone in zero visibility to ponder his options. He knew that all divers were due up by 5 p.m., or the dive supervisors would send out search teams. His pressure gauge showed 1,700 PSI, and that didn't seem likely to last until help would get there. So he's on scuba. He's on scuba. Yikes. Most of us dove those days in canvas overalls and simple backpacks. David added on early edition flotation vests after getting left offshore one day and bobbing around in the six-foot swell treading water. Sizing up the situation, he calculated that his air supply wouldn't last long enough in 50 feet of water. Yeah. 1,700 PSI. And 50 feet. uh, 50 feet of water. 5.0. 50. Yeah. 50 feet of water. Yeah, that's not going to last very long. So you got about 40 cubic feet of gas if that's an 80. And yeah. So he did, Brando. He cut off his fingers. Any tough guy would do back in those days. He decided to employ his vest as a makeshift rebreather. He orally inflated the vest. 
and then began breathing from it until the CO2 built up to an uncomfortable level. <laughs> <laughs> so he started hallucinating. <laughs> then he'd switch back to his regulator, catch his breath with some good clean air from the tank, and start the cycle all over again. Mm. Over an hour went by, and the topside teams were scrambled, looking for him to no avail, and he was down to less than 300 PSI in his cylinder. He did pretty good then. At 50 feet, he used 1,400 PSI. That's not bad. Yeah, in an hour. Yeah. We're assuming I mean, he it's, has it's, an aluminum 80, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's no telling what it is, actually, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would assume an 80. But even still, I mean, you're talking yeah, mentally just relaxing, waiting uh, for help, hoping for help. Th- these guys got to come. I- I've yelled at them about this shit so many times. They got to be here. <laughs> Down to 300 PSI. So that is when he decided he's going to have to amputate his fingers with his knife. Yeah. Cool. That's <laughs> <laughs> only his fingers. Oh man, like could be uh, worse. I mean, I mean, you remember, you know the the Didi story of like being so knocked out, like just grabbing his knife the wrong way, yeah, and, like, just yeah, lacerating yeah. his hand and over in Vaucluse from that Vaucluse story. You know that at least he he didn't realize he did it till he right. was out of the water and and like sobered up from being knocked out on all that carbon monoxide they were breathing. Right. This. It's gonna hurt. Like making the decision, I'm gonna have to cut, <laughs> cut my goddamn fingers off. Yeah. I mean, I remember being on a dive boat out in Lake Huron, and uh, went to lift the the mooring line off the bow cleat, and you know, as I was, gra- oh, it was really gotcha. rough and choppy. Yeah. And I slipped, in, like, and tried to recatch my footing, and hadn't pulled my finger out from underneath that oh. line yet. And Ouch. like. All 50 quadrillion <laughs> gallons of Lake Huron, you know, lifted up and, like, pinched my yeah. uh, my two middle fingers against against that. But I thought that line was going to, like, just go right through, through my fingers, fingers and just cool. sever them right yeah. there, man. Yeah, I'd do it. Oh. Ran down to the cooler, shoved my hand in, in that bucket of ice. Ah, brutal. <laughs> it is brutal. Yeah, I've had, I had my hand caught and stuff like that. Yeah, that is brutal, man. But at least that was an accident. I didn't have to sit there and contemplate right. that pain. You didn't have to pull your knife out and then start sawing, you know. Uh, do you saw or do you, like, try to just chop you, through the yeah, bones? Do you, uh, do, you, do you take the serrated edge? You go, <laughs> if he's got a serrated edge. Like, through, edge. The, through the joint? He's got that giant Or are you just going to, like, take that sharp edge and just, like, and, oh, like, yeah. just pressure, yeah. pressure, push that sharp edge through the bone and just... Right at the joints, hopefully you can just pull Uh, it off. You know, after you cut through all the connective tissue, you could just pull the bones off. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, he could probably just cut around the skin and and leave the skin in there and and pull his bones out. You know what I'm saying? It's called a degloving, a degloving, because it happens with uh, basketball players who keep their rings on and try to slam dunk. Right, right. And we would get them and they completely takes the finger meat and skin off how do you like that sound effect yeah (laughs) friend got his uh hand cut like running around you know his teenagers caught on a a metal part of a door jam 
Like running out the door? Yeah. Ripped it right off. Eh? Degloved the ring finger. Yeah. That'll, that'll get you, man. That's why I, I, they didn't let us wear them in, in my particular job in the service. And, uh, and I still don't wear them. I don't even like to see my wife wearing them. Keep thinking she's going to catch it. It's kind of it's like eating chicken wings. You know exactly. I just would exactly you know, what I was going to say. You, if you know what you're doing when you're eating those hot wings, you yeah. know you got you got the little drummies. Oh. You know you can attack those. Just chop, chop, yeah. chop. But if you know what you're doing with a with you know the the flats, you get the very end. If you're good you, with you your pin, mouth, you Is pinch. You no, saying? you pinch the the end oh. right at the joint, and you pop, pop into two right. bones, and then you can eat, you know eat the chicken wings that way. It comes right off. Yeah, it comes right off. So. Dave thought it all out, and he knew that he needed to start the cuts in advance so he could get a good, clean break through the bones at the last moment. It took him a few minutes to work his small utility knife over his fingers and begin the first incisions. He wanted to use his heavy dive knife to break the bones and paused to reach back to position it for a final plunge. A quick look at his gauge confirmed he was down to about 100 PSI. Time was up. He lay quietly to catch his breath and hoped not to pass out from the inevitable pain. That's a, there's, a whole other, there's a whole other concern right yeah. there, right? Yeah. I can't imagine. You don't have any control over that. I mean, he's just... You're going to be screaming like a madman right. doing this. I mean, I mean, are you going to be able to sit there and call me go, are you going to just, ah. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I'm just thinking that you got to make sure that you have a sharp knife, I think would be important. Super sharp. That's why you keep your knife sharpened just in case. Just in case, right? Would you rather be sawing off your fingers with a sh- super sharp knife, or it's not so sharp, rusty, you haven't touched it. That's why uh, if you go to the Great Dive Podcast website, you can order yourself one of the <laughs> n- brand new Great Dive Podcast uh, brand knife sharpeners. <laughs> As he reached in to drive the knife blade down with all his force, he felt the shaft poke something soft and a corresponding grunt of surprise and outrage. He jammed his knife right into the shoulder of sweep diver Ralph Eula, reaching around the pipe end. (laughs) That'll teach ya. Son of a bitch trapping me down here. (laughs) We'd finally figured that Dave had to be somewhere along that submerged pipe after finding his buoy at the other end, but it took nearly 20 minutes to carefully search to find him. Ralph began buddy breathing with Dave and deployed his own float. Three of us dropped in on them within two minutes and lifted the pipe off of Dave's hand. He calmly pulled his fingers free, holstered his knives, and swam slowly to the surface in the remaining twilight. As he related the story to us on the boat, we listened in fascinated horror. Finally, someone asked, Do you really think you could have cut off your fingers and not passed out? (laughs) <laughs> and how this go ahead go ahead. i was just gonna say it reminds me of that what is that movie 38 hours or something 30 some odd hours 
where the guy's stuck in the rocks and he had to cut his arm off. Oh, right. Do you remember right. that? So I, if I remember correctly, he passed out several times doing it. Right, yeah. yeah. Which I would think would be, yeah, par for the course. Uh, I'm pretty sure, unless you're a schizophrenic, psychopath, sociopath, your brain will not allow you to like just Dis- wakenly dismember <laughs> yourself. Yeah, the key word is unless you're a psychopath, yeah. Right, right. But we know talk about these tough old divers. You know, some of them, you know, definitely Borderline. had some psychopathic <laughs> tendencies. That's how yeah. they. Uh, that's how they got through a lot of those dives back in the day. Yeah, I'd agree. Dave replied, "No problem. Remember, I didn't have to do the thumb. That would have been a difficult angle." <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Yeah, if I had to do the thumb, I'd have really been in trouble." He's got a point. <laughs> So it's not the fact that he would have had to do the fun, the thumb. It's, that <laughs> it's a it bad angle. A difficult angle <laughs> yes. to to get the to get the oh, knife. Yeah, through. how do you get in it? Yeah, that's man. That's those like crazy, those crazy tough old school divers that I'm that I'm thinking of. Right, those tough wily bastards. They're called cut your finger off yourself divers. <laughs> Are you one of those? Are you one of those cut your finger off yourself. That's the dive instructor you want. True. You know, you don't want you don't want the guy that, you know, is all shaved chest, glistening with uh, Hawaiian tropic oil, with his <laughs> six pack abs and speedo, like taking you out with uh, you know to to do your first dive. You want that grizzled old bastard with three fingers on one hand that's really that's really been there and, and lived it. <laughs> That's what I look for, missing a digit or two in a dive instructor. Missing a digit or two. Right. You're going to go do that shark dive in, in the Bahamas? <laughs> do you want Stubby? I want the guy that's – I want Stubby. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I want a guy that really knows uh, what, what causes these uh, sharks to, to bite. <laughs> Ten minutes later, with his wounds patched up with duct tape and caulking cotton, he stood on the dive platform and told the team – to get that goddamn pipe out of my shipping channel. <laughs> On the ride back in, Dave lit a rum-soaked crook cigar and honed his knife blade on a whetstone. His accompanying lecture on the best method to affect a clean bone break was greeted by several group hurls over the lee rail. But the teacher had our undivided attention. <laughs> Nice. I mean, that's uh, that's an old dive story for you, right <laughs> there. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I still can't guess the writer. Good old Brett Gilliam. Oh, was that Brett? Damn it! I should have. You know, I thought you were gonna have it as soon as he mentioned yeah. Kate Moss's Wonder Bra. Like I, I, <laughs> I was like, oh, should have been a giveaway. This is something. This yes. is something that would have come out of Brett's mouth. And, and then when I when I said, you know, Saint Croix in the seventies, I, I thought you'd yeah. have it there for sure. Yeah, I should have, definitely, because that was his early career. I, uh, damn it. I'm getting old. But like a, a guy like that with, uh, with, with some good old school crazy yeah. stories, you know. Yeah. This, this has been fun, you know, going through those old scuba times and those old advanced dive journals, 
reading some of these writings because, you know, they were free to just like write stories like this. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, uh, back in the day, like, which you're never going to get. Well, because it doesn't happen anymore. They're, the, the era of the tough guy is, is pretty much gone, right? I mean, watch TV. There's no more tough guys. Well, hey, there you go. Nerve splitting rescue. It's an old uh, story from Brett Gilliam. Working your fingers to the bone, he says. Working your fingers to the bone. Literally. 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 Uh, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Reminds me of those old, just those old, old diver stories from being like a young kid back at the dive shop when I was first yeah. getting started. Everybody, like everybody tried to be tougher than the, the next guy. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. uh, you know, all the instructors like back then, you know, you know, had a story, when, uh, had a near death, I had a story, a yeah. near, everybody had near death stories yeah. and, and everybody, you know, did, you know, every, every instructor had to do a controlled emergency swimming ascent for their instructor from a hundred feet from a, from a deeper dive than the, <laughs> than the next guy, you know, the first exactly. guy, you know, they did it from like 10, 15 feet, kill the next guy feet. did it from 30 <laughs> Next guy did it from 40. You know, last guy, we had to do ours from 100 feet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They took us, and then they punched us in the gut, so we expelled all our air. Underwater, they punch you in. Oh, how hard do you think you can punch somebody in the gut underwater? <laughs> right. And then, that is the military you know, thing, you know, for their, their old dive. Bob used to tell me this. Back in the, he was a PJ in Vietnam. He went through Navy dive school back then, and he said, uh, so you you take your, you dive down to hundred feet and they have a uh, a um, a dome under there right a dome anchored to the bottom and you you take off your gear and you get inside the dome all and they they have gas you know going through it but the instructor takes one, each one out one at a time and punches them in the gut so they expel all their air and sends them up without any gear right that's uh, that. Uh Naval submarine tower, right, that, yeah. escape, that escape tower that they yeah 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 at. yeah. So he was telling me those kind of stories. He had other. He had actual real stories. You know, people uh, landing on his parachute as they were jumping, and you know, they're over the top. When you, everybody jumps out together, you, <laughs> there's some people that just don't get the memo, and they're they're on your parachute caving it in. You know, over the top of you. Yeah, good good story, Jamesy. Yeah, that was a fun that was a fun little change of pace. I, I dug it. I thought it was pretty cool. I hope uh, the people out there enjoyed that one. Do you have any crazy old scuba tales, everybody? Cutting your fingers to the bone, underwater <laughs> working stories of uh, muscle and mustaches down uh, in the in the little harbor, uh, working for a living as a scuba diver. Send them on over to us. You know we love reading them. Brando, should we sign logbooks? Yeah. Yeah, let's sign these because this will be a short dive today. Dear Brando, that was a great dive. Is is that Kate Moss's bra <laughs> in, uh, in your BCD pocket? Where did you get that? <laughs> um, Dear Jamesy, I'm giving you the finger right now, literally. Thank you. Cutting Thank you. Off. All of them? You're giving, you're giving me all of them? Oh, that's so nice all of you. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Safe time.
So, so hey, I'm looking up like actors who were really tough guys. Guess whose picture came up? Clint Eastwood. Danny Trejo. Top <laughs> top one? There's three of them up there. You got Vin Diesel looking a little chunky. Uh, Danny Trejo, and then uh, Sylvester Stallone as Rambo, you know, with his face going. Eh. Uh, Christopher Lee, they say, he's number 25 out of 25. Oh, Christopher Lee was awesome. Yes. One of my favorite actors of all time. Yeah, they're saying he he served in World War II uh, in the British SAS and the SOE. So he was a legitimate uh, dude to re- be reckoned with. Ah, great actor from the House of Hammer. Right. Mickey Rourke, legitimate tough guy. Oh, I would bet Mickey Rourke. But Mickey Rourke you would not want to meet on the yeah. the wrong end of a, a pool hall. Right. So at uh, at 1:30 in the morning. This list this list is actually yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> this list is actually it says legitimate tough guy or tough guy on screen. So right, Mickey right. Rourke is legitimate, but Vin Diesel is on screen only. Agreed, agreed. Agreed. I was gonna say that when uh, you're just saying I, I see him as yeah. I see it, it in the script. It says I'm a tough guy. So could you could you see him as a diver? I I don't know. If, could you see Danny Trejo as a diver? I could see working Danny down Trejo. in Cozumel or something. No, How would you like no, that could, as your I dive could master? Him, <laughs> I could see him as like uh, being cast as on a commercial uh, team or something, like in the abyss. No, I could see him being like cast as like Didi. Or, oh, really? Uh, or what's his face? Um, not Didi. Um, Falco? He has yeah, kind of yeah, got yeah. the Falco. build of Falco. But Falco yes, was happy. Falco, Falco was a happy dude. But I he, can, he but was a Danny, beast. I, I could see him. Yeah, I think, yeah, Falco was a beast. I could see Trejo as playing that type of it. Like, like just grabbing a tank under his arm and diving down to 250 feet to, you know, Unlodge the anchor from uh, yeah. the yeah. chunk of coral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I could see, I could see Trejo being that. Yeah, guy. okay, I'm with you. 